Welcome to BIV Today, the daily business news podcast from Business in Vancouver newspaper and BIV.com. I'm Tyler Orton. So we're going to be bringing on one of our regular contributors, Electron Communications' Matthew Klippenstein. He's talking all about the biggest updates in the world of fuel cell technology. Now, the original interview was recorded a few days back, but then earlier this week, news broke about Ballard and the purchase of some very interesting vehicles. So he's going to give us a little bit of an update towards the end of our conversation, but that's going to follow immediately after this initial chat. So let's kick it off with our first segment with Matthew Klippenstein. And joining us on the show today for an update on the state of hydrogen and fuel cells and what have you here in this jurisdiction and beyond, it is Matthew Klippenstein. He is an engineer by trade and he's a consultant with Electron Communications. Matthew, thanks for joining us on the show once again. Thanks for having me again, Tyler. Okay, so the province has just dropped a report on hydrogen generation and it's identifying some attractive opportunities for a deployment here in British Columbia. What do you think is kind of the opportunity that maybe the government is cluing into right now? Sure. So the government was approached last year uh, um, for a coordinated project between a variety of companies who want to export hydrogen. Uh, when you think about LNG, LNG is um, is now the, the, the new big fuel for the future as uh, there are attempts being made to phase out coal. But natural gas, of course, when you combust it, does produce carbon, CO2 rather. And so hydrogen is viewed by many of these importing countries as their pathway to keep importing energy without um, committing themselves to emissions. So hydrogen is sort of the energy exports without emissions option. Um, and so with our plentiful hydroelectricity, a relatively cheap, quite cheap by global standards, and our proximity to Asia, we are closer than Australia, which is the other major company making a big push on um, developing a hydrogen export market. This uh, report uh, came out at about the right time. Yeah. So one of the things that they are pointing out here are maybe some of the plant sizes that could have you know different economic benefits here. Mm. Uh, what are you finding with kind of the opportunities or maybe certain facilities that could best help us? Sure. I guess I should also uh, note in disclosure, I didn't participate in this report at all. I, I have uh, communicated with some of the principals involved, though. And um, <clears throat> the report, which is on the uh, government website, it has been published, uh, proposed a variety of sizes, a 10 megawatt plant, a 100 megawatt plant, and a 300 megawatt plant. And uh, when you consider the size of a 300 megawatt plant, that would produce, uh, I think, on the order of 50,000 tons of hydrogen per year, which, if it was displacing, say, gasoline, uh, for fuel cell vehicles would be the equivalent of eliminating a million tons of CO2 per year, displacing that. Um, now, 300 megawatts also is a is a massive, sizable amount of electricity. I think the uh, Site C is uh, proposed at between 900 and 1100 megawatts peak power, although it won't operate 24-7. At, at times, it'll be the dam will be opened. At times, it'll, it'll be used as a reservoir. So a 300 megawatt plant running 24-7, apart from small amount of downtime for uh, operations maintenance would be the equivalent of, say, like a 600 megawatt dam or a 600 megawatt wind farm um, in the course of a year. So it is a, is a large amount of uh, power and uh, commensurately, it's a large amount of opportunity to reduce emissions using uh, renewable energy. How do you think the feasibility of endeavoring on a project like this would be right now? So I would think that, and it is noted in the report, that 
suddenly going to 300 megawatts would be quite the financial risk because not all the markets have been established yet. Uh, I would think from a business planning perspective, one might make a small facility, make sure things uh, are properly uh, working, and then scale up thereafter. Um, one challenge noted in the report is that even at the industrial BC rate, 6.4 cents per kilowatt hour, the cost to generate the hydrogen would be too high for the price targets that Japan mm. in particular is focused on. The report identified California as the most promising near-term market because, like BC, they have a low-carbon fuel standard, which means that there is a financial um, benefit for a provider of fuels or fuel blending or fuel alternatives, such as hydrogen, uh, which can be monetized in addition to the actual value of the hydrogen provided. Do we have an idea about how long maybe deployment would take for these kinds of projects if you know everything goes perfectly to plan? Sure. So the report identified about a six-year time frame, as there are many uh, regulatory uh, and also definitely community um, engagement to be done. There are many uh, many things that have to be ticked off checkboxes. I think the bigger um, the bigger thought is, well, um, is this an opportunity for BC as we as we near the twenty thirties? Um, we not only have the case where BC is. Um, uh, would have the possibility of exporting our renewable resources. But uh, Alberta as well, there is a, a research institute in Alberta which has noted that given the merchant price, the wholesale price of hydrogen, it's entirely possible that Alberta could um, generate more revenue in a clean tech world, in a zero emission world, exporting hydrogen uh, than exporting, than it receives for its bitumen, for its oil today. So on a dollars per unit energy basis, uh, even Alberta might wind up moving to export hydrogen. In their case, they would have to um, strip it off of the hydrocarbons and bury the CO2 for it to be clean. But um, in the 2030 timeframe, rather, then uh, we might not just be looking at BC having some interest, but our, our neighbors as well. Just before we segue to our next topic, though, any overall thoughts about what this report is delivering to us, just in terms of kind of knowledge power that we can use down the road? Sure. I think the, uh, so the, uh, the great usefulness uh, of this report is to put it on the table and have a reference point where we can start further discussions. Um, there is, uh, there continues to be interest, growing interest in terms of hydrogen as an energy form for export. Now, it seems quite silly today that you'd have to put a lot of energy into the hydrogen to liquefy it or put it into some other chemical commodity to transport it. But it's worth noting that uh, LNG was invented as an industry about 50 years ago when Japan sought to move off coal. So it, if, if one thinks in longer timeframes, then yes, hydrogen is a bit exotic today, but it could be the norm in 20 or 30 years. Uh, the one thing that the, the report did note is that, uh, as I mentioned, the industrial rate of electricity for BC Hydro is still too high to make this commercially viable. However, large-scale renewable energy projects, wind and solar, have been delivering power purchase agreements uh, across the world for $0.02 cents per kilowatt hour or lower. Um, maybe that's $0.02 cents US, but all the same, uh, that trend should keep on uh, decreasing, which means that even if it's not possible today, financially, uh, to, uh, to create a profitable export market with today's BC hydro rates, perhaps in the future, some combination of massive uh, renewable deployments across the province, power purchase agreements, perhaps supplemented when the wind isn't blowing or the sun isn't shining, by hydropower, 
uh, might uh, make this possible and feasible as we uh, as we move through the energy transition. Okay. Well, some other big news that uh, we can talk about as well uh, came out last month, though, is that uh, American Fortune 500 company Cummins, they have acquired Canada's own hydrogenics. And I'm wondering if you can tell me what this means going for, you, for the future with regards to this industry here in Canada. Yes. So um, uh, as you noted, Cummins, uh, one of the world's largest diesel engine manufacturers, uh, was looking to uh, add fuel cell capability uh, to its team, to its knowledge base, its company. Uh, it's not entirely surprising as Weichai, the world's number one diesel engine manufacturer, now owns a 20% stake in Ballard and so has access to Ballard's um, uh, technology going forward. Um, as much as uh, uh, light-duty electric vehicles, uh, passenger vehicles, get all the attention, they have received a uh, commendable attention, thanks to Tesla, a lot of profile. Uh, there are even more emissions on the um, heavier-duty transportation side, basically replacing the diesel engines and trucks can reduce the CO2 emissions um, from our society even more so than from lighter gasoline-based passenger vehicles. So it is significant that we have not just Weichai, but here Cummins as well, saying we need to make sure that we have in-house capabilities or extensive expertise in this technology, which is um, the most promising for, uh, for replacing uh, um, diesel combustion uh, for these larger vehicles. Maybe on, on a higher level here, we do have hydrogenics. They are based in central Canada, mm -hmm. whereas you know, Ballard, of course, is right here in Burnaby. Right. Do you anticipate maybe some sort of rivalry brewing between these jurisdictions here in Canada? Or just where do we go from here having more of a holistic sort of uh, hydrogen sort of industry here in Canada? Yes. So um, BC does lead in terms of uh, the hydrogen sector. We have our cradle of fuel cell, of the modern fuel cell industry, as the local sector likes to brand itself. And we do have a, an extensive cluster of, uh, of startups and companies, established companies like Ballard in the sector. There would be some rivalry to, only to be expected out of, uh, out of Ontario. Perhaps in Quebec, they'll have some, uh, some uh, uh, startups moving out over there as well. But uh, we do have the pole position, as it were. One, one uh, uh, benefit that the Cummins takeover does offer is that it sort of cements the, uh, the value proposition for fuel cells. If one has a bunch of small players that really on the global scale aren't really moving the needle that much, you know, not, not to be uh, derogatory towards Ballard or Hydrogenics, but compared to Weichai or Cummins or other large conglomerates, they aren't very large. Uh, having these companies uh, make commitments to a zero emission technology, recognizing it as a path for reducing their customers' emissions, their own emissions, is very important. Um, I also will uh, want to emphasize that uh, batteries are also highly useful and an excellent option for many of these vehicles. It's simply that uh, batteries are unlikely to meet everything, which is why these other companies are pursuing fuel cells as well. Well, last topic here that we'll throw your way though, but that uh, we do know that Bloom Energy has had some news also coming out last month. Tell us a little bit about maybe their innovation with regards to natural gas fed fuel cells. Sure. So Bloom Energy is a company out of Silicon Valley and uh, they, are a, they are a fuel cell company. They use high temperature solid oxide fuel cells. And their, uh, their core market is providing uninterruptible power for data centers and other corporate headquarters, manufacturing facilities. And they have uh, to date powered their fuel cells with 
uh, natural gas. So there are CO2 emissions associated with that. And that has been a valid criticism of the, com- of the company because ultimately, if you can put up solar panels or wind farms, and that is zero emission, whereas their technology has been tied to emissions. Now, what they did announce uh, recently is that um, they have uh, certified their fuel cell modules that uh, they can actually run on hydrogen as well. This is well known in the industry. Uh, high temperature fuel cells, they can um, they actually convert the natural gas to hydrogen internally, producing CO2 as well. And so this offers something of a future proofing for their customers in that at the time when, uh, when natural gas networks get um, either su- supplemented or replaced by hydrogen networks, then their customers will also be able to go to zero emissions based on uh, locally fed fuel. They'll get the uninterruptible power without the emissions. And so um, uh, they'll also produce a product which uh, is designed to be straight fed with hydrogen, no, no other um, process units to handle the natural gas. Uh, and so it's something of a future proofing for this particular fuel cell technology, which has historically relied on natural gas, where, uh, again, as we move to a world with uh, clean or zero emission hydrogen, then these fuel cells will as well be able to participate there. One of the reasons I'm interested in this particular topic, and I could be totally off base here, but when you say the words natural gas and you talk about hydrogen fuel cells as well, I think British Columbia, you know, there's definitely some interest here. Do you think that there's any room for BC to make some sort of play, either partnering up with Bloom Energy or just following along with similar sorts of technologies? Um, yes. So there is a report that will come out soon about um, the manners in which hydrogen can help the province achieve its climate goals. I did assist with that report. And so there will be opportunities, one expects, uh, in terms of um, slowly eroding, say, the market share that natural gas has, but simultaneously being able to repurpose uh, natural gas pipelines or build new infrastructure that allows us to meet the province's heat requirements uh, with zero emission hydrogen, with clean hydrogen, as opposed to with a, a carbon-containing uh, fuel such as natural gas. And again, this isn't to diminish the uh, the impact of, say, uh, heat pumps and other uh, direct electric sources, but uh, the nature of the, of the uh, climate uh, crisis that we face is that it's more of a silver buckshot where you need a hundred different solutions as opposed to relying on one single thing to try and um, you know save us. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, Matthew, always a pleasure having you on the show. All right. Pleasure being here. Thank you. Okay. So we're going to wrap up that part of the segment and we're going to jump into our next conversation with Matthew right now. Okay. Now we're back just a few days later with Matthew Klippenstein. Hey, Matt, thank you again for coming back onto the show after uh, some news broke this week. You're very welcome. So we're finding out that Ballard employees are making uh, some certain interesting purchases in the realm of fuel cell cars. Tell us what's going on mm-hmm. with to- Toyota right now. So um, there was an announcement uh, this week um, that uh, Ballard employees had signed up to be uh, the first uh, adopters, early adopters, I suppose, of the Toyota Mirai fuel cell vehicle, which uh, is now becoming available in British Columbia. So there was a, a press release uh, to that effect. An oppressive event, I suppose. And, and tell me, I'm not super familiar with the Toyota Mirai. Like, what is it uh, about these vehicles that will be making them interesting and, and why maybe Ballard is, in, uh, is interested in pursuing this? Sure, yes. Yeah. So the Mirai is Toyota's fuel cell vehicle. It uh, It is actually uh, shaped quite a lot like the, the current Prius. Uh, it uh, gets about 500 kilometers on uh, five kilograms of hydrogen. 
so it's a fuel cell vehicle, and fuel cells are, of course, the technology that Ballard has been working on for a number of decades. Um, I believe this year is Ballard's 40th anniversary, in fact. And so there is kind of a symmetry uh, or a coming together in terms of Ballard uh, continuing to be a leader in the fuel cell space, uh, having its uh, its employees now finally able to drive vehicles that um, that use the technology or technology uh, very similar to the technology they've been uh, developing over the years and decades. So is this a real big sign about the confidence that these Ballard employees have about this technology that they've been spending, as you said, you know, decades on? Um, yes. Yeah, so I, I think uh, there is definitely a sense of confidence. I'm sure they would have had confidence in the technology 10 years ago or 20 years ago if the vehicles were available uh, at, the, at the necessary price points. Uh, but yes, yeah, so it's it's a case where um, perhaps a good analogy might be made with the uh, the battery electric vehicle space, where ten years ago there really wasn't anything. You had your first sort of um, wave of vehicles coming in, and now in the coming ten years, then uh, there's the thinking that uh, fuel cell vehicles, even passenger vehicles, not just trucks and buses and, and trains, um, will will follow a similar ascent. So take me through it a little bit because we have, I guess, the practicality of it all right now. You know, we have that station on Granville Street where people can go fill up their, you know, fuel cell vehicles. But uh, what is the outlook for people that would be investing in these vehicles down the road and they want to be able, you know, to ensure that they can fuel these up uh, whenever they need to? Yes. Yeah, so um, that's a that's a very valid point. Uh, at the moment, there is one operating station, which is at Granville and 71st, roughly. So it's at the, the Shell station, not too far from the airport on the Vancouver side. Um, there is a plan that the British that BC's government has put together, where there will be five um, uh, hydrogen stations across uh, the Lower Mainland and one in the Victoria area. Uh, the second station is currently being built. It's near BCIT's uh, Burnaby campus and away in Willington, I suppose. And there'll be a, a few more scattered across the lower mainland to make it you know, approximately uh, not quite as dense as the existing gasoline network, but to make it uh, feasible for uh, people to uh, refuel their vehicles as they commute around town and go through their daily routines. Um, the one advantage that, or one advantage that fuel cell vehicles have over battery electric vehicles, plug-in electric vehicles, is that there is no um, consumer behavior difference required. And uh, I suppose you could make an analogy between, say, uh, you know, the Beyond Meat, the, uh, the veggie meat that has gotten popular here, where people can still go to a burger place and just happen to have a vegetarian burger, as opposed to wanting to order a salad or, or, or some other food that they might not ordinarily have uh, with that behavior of going to fast food restaurants. So um, it's a complementary uh, technology option, and uh, the general thinking is that uh, the more zero-emission vehicle options there are, uh, the easier it will get for um, for adoption to increase and for BC to meet its climate targets. Uh, Matthew, I, I love the fact that for the first time on this podcast, we've had fuel cell technology compared to Beyond Meat. I, I think uh, that's uh, we, <laughs> we put that in the uh, history books for us. So you'll Got have it, more. Yeah. <laughs> well, you'll have more yeah. insights into this uh, final question uh, than, than I could offer here. But for the practicality of maybe one of these Ballard employees that's investing in one of these vehicles, look, it's going to be easy for them if they live, you know, close to Granville and Seventy First. But um, are they going to be able to roll into work and, and maybe uh, fuel up there just? 
just because of all the access to technology, or is it going to be a bit of a um, a, a, a wait and see sort of approach as more of these stations are built throughout the region? Right. I suppose uh, it would probably be a, a wait and see approach. You'd have to check with Ballard to see if uh, there must be some uh, you know regulatory or other um, other uh, necessary precautions uh, to make sure that uh, if if Ballard wanted to dispense uh, hydrogen commercially, that it would be allowed to do so. Uh, I expect that um, at the location in uh, South Vancouver, there at the BCIT location, at the other locations coming together, I believe one is likely to go into North Vancouver, uh, a couple others. Then um, the uh, the approach I suspect would be that the uh, ballot employees, instead of uh, refueling at you know, wherever they currently do refuel, they would um, they would choose to uh, be patrons of one of the. Uh, service stations where uh, hydrogen is also offered as an option. Well, excellent. Hey, Matthew, I really appreciate you coming back on the show to give us this update on Ballard since our last conversation. You're very, very welcome. Thanks for having me, Tyler. That's Matthew Klippenstein, consultant with Electron Communications, and that is it for the show today. We'll be back tomorrow. You can find our archives on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. Share with your friends. It's going to help us reach even more people. For now, I'm Tyler Orton. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.